0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hey, Ryan.
1: Hey, Ben. How are you doing?
0: Good. So today we have a sponsored podcast brought to you by Shell, and we're going to be talking about human-centered design and accessibility this is a big topic something i know stack overflow has been working on uh, Mm -hmm. because i get a lot of emails about how we're going to change the way the site looks the options presented to people in terms of how they can view it and also something i see increasingly in video games you know if i'm playing with my kids we just got the new star wars game there's a long introduction at the beginning offering you all kinds of options for sound and color and other you know, areas where you know they can make the game more accessible to you depending on what your personal preference is. Mm-hmm. Today, we are lucky to have on the show Maya Sellen, who focuses a lot on these issues at Shell, has given a great talk on them. And we're going to be discussing how to do this kind of work and also how to do it at scale at a company like Shell, which is obviously a large, very, very large global enterprise. So Maya, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So just to get started, give folks a quick flyover. How did you get into the world of software and technology? How did you end up with this focus uh, that you have on the the human-centered and accessibility side? And what is it you do sort of, you know, day-to-day at Shell?
2: Sure. I'd say my journey has been largely serendipitous. It's just happened by chance. Uh, My background is in civil engineering, but I started getting interested in the web when it first came out and I found myself first doing support. So I was first line support and helping content editors build websites, doing some light graphic work. And at some point in my career, there was a job opening in the brand team and that happened to be for digital standards. So when I moved over into digital standards, I received a checklist. And I was told, okay, you were responsible for reviewing all externally facing content against this checklist. And I was doing that. And some of the items on the checklist, I just thought to myself, there has to be something behind this. And when I went online and started researching, I discovered the web content accessibility guidelines, the web accessibility initiative, and it felt like I had found my calling It felt like this was what I was meant to be doing. And I was very, very lucky to have a manager who said, I'm not quite sure what you're looking at, but it seems important. (laughs) Uh, Go ahead, spend the time doing it. As long as you're doing your normal work, you have all of the freedom to dive into this. And so that's, that's what I did. So I was responsible for reviewing. So people would send their digital assets to me. I'd review against the checklist, and over mm-hmm. time, as I learned more about WCAG, I started applying more of the the guidelines against it, the success criteria and I built up a a practice an internal practice I would say that eventually spread out into training so
1: yeah, it sounds like you you've had a lot of customer facing uh experience before this, so it seems a you know a natural fit once you get into design to be like well was using this, right? I'm curious about your talk, keeping the human in human-centered design. It almost seems like it's sort of tautological, but how do people forget the human in human-centered design?
2: (laughs) I think it's almost inevitable when you are facing very tight deadlines, very strict budgets it becomes very much a checklist. Like I mentioned at the very beginning, it's a checklist of things you have to get done and the deadline is looming and everything kind of flies out the window in order to, to hit that deadline. And unless it's something that you are reminded of, unless it's something that's on that checklist and you understand what it is, it's very easy, I think, to overlook the human because it, the focus, I think, narrows down to yourself. And what I was trying to say and convey in my considering the human is all of the wonderful variances and diversity of being human. So that's really what my talk was centered around.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like people often consider who will the end user be, but just as often they're thinking about what outcome, you know, do I want? for my side or you know what what business case is this trying to serve or what efficiency is this trying to implement and within that it's very easy to forget right like well the people who are going to be using this might you know prefer sound versus text they might prefer text versus sound they might you know be able to use a keyboard or not and then you know again like i mentioned one of the ones that's really come up more recently is you know what does the screen look like? What is the color scheme? And what are things that impact how easy it is for somebody to interface with that software? I guess, in your opinion, you know, how has this field been evolving in recent years? And then maybe we can dive a little bit into sort of how you're working on it at Shell, because it does seem to me like it's now front and center with a lot of, for example, big budget video games. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I'm installing them, they're giving me all of these amazing options I actually feel like maybe in gaming it's more front and center than anywhere else. I don't know why, maybe because it's supposed to be so personalized. You know, like you start a game and it's, oh, create your character and you can pick any, you know, imaginable collection of, you know, genders and races and hairstyles under the Mm -hmm. sun so it feels good to you. And in thinking about that, maybe they thought a little bit more about sort of like, all right, but we want to make sure you actually can, you know, see and enjoy and play this game the way that's right for you.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it really, Fun that you brought up gaming because I'm I'm a gamer myself and I was one of those people who when I would play with my friends I would constantly be going mm-hmm. I can't find the door I'm stuck in the room and they're like how can you not see that <laughs> oh, and yeah. I I right. just I wouldn't see it I would be literally running into walls or be the one who would miss the tiny little bridge that you have to cross and fall into the pit and then need somebody to come back and and fish right. me out because I couldn't see um,
0: very frustrating.
2: So the high contrast and all of those options that we have now, I still fall into pits, but it helps me <laughs> avoid at least some of right. them. Yeah. But I, I don't know exactly what launched all of the changes, but I do think Microsoft has to be mentioned here. They are mm-hmm. a leader and with their adaptive controller and the ad that they ran at the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, it was inspirational. It was a feel good kind of moment. And I think that started kicking Mm -hmm. things off. Certainly I noticed a very big shift with the pandemic, as horrible as that Mm -hmm. was, the fact that everybody had to allow everybody to work from home and make everything work Mm -hmm. that way, finding out that they actually could do that, I think had a, a huge impact and really accelerated a lot of the visibility because just more voices means more people are hearing about it. I think that's really what it boils down to. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Just for reference, can you explain what it is that you're talking about for yourself so that we have that context?
2: Uh, You you mean my, my impairment uh, or well impairment Uh, to me, it's, it's, it's something that I've always had, but it's just getting progressively worse. So uh, for me it's primarily visual where I've had multiple eye surgeries to try to correct my vision, but it just keeps getting worse. So for me, I rely very, very heavily on just built-in browser features to zoom in. And I rely on designers who provide proper contrast so that I can see. It's also age-related because things like small prints that I used to be able to see in the past, I can't. See at all anymore, I am the person now in the grocery store taking a photo and then zooming in on my phone mm-hmm. to try to read labels sometimes or instructions when I was trying to to set up uh, the microphone i'm taking photos or trying right. to find a digital version so I can read uh, but I also have some cognitive impairments that i've only recently become aware of because to me the other interesting thing is I'm sure there are lots of people going around just believing that it's difficult to read and comprehend something without realizing that there's something else going on. So I've been playing around with different browser plugins to change fonts, to um, use um, speechify, for example, that will start reading things out to me or just using Siri to read things to Mm -hmm. me while I am reading it myself to keep my attention on the page to keep from getting distracted, yeah. or just to help me out a little bit to, to give me a boost. So,
0: right. Well, I can relate to getting older and uh, seeing the font size slowly oh increase across uh, my screens. And I also find that the accessibility tools open up new avenues. You know, for me, in ways that maybe they weren't intended to. But like you said, a lot of times now, if I have like a, a long article on a computer that I want to enjoy but I don't want the eye strain. I, you know, Mm -hmm. speechify it or I ask it to be read and then I can fold laundry and listen to it. It's more like a podcast, right? But I can turn any article now into something audio-based and that's a really nice option to have.
1: It's interesting, Ben, talking about uh, video games. I think one of the most surprising accessibility features I've seen is uh, one game had an arachnophobia setting where it would just take Mm. out the spiders. Mm.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And I wonder, my are there surprising accessibility issues or features that have kind of changed your thinking on on accessibility?
2: I don't have an interesting example the way you did, Ryan, but I I think Uh just the fact that some games are starting to walk people through the process and show the accessibility feature as opposed to it being something Mm -hmm. that you need to discover is having a significant impact because. It's just about awareness, really, at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And me going in and playing with different little features, I I still want to see more. So lately, I've been playing a lot of third-person shooters. And Mm -hmm. what I am a little bit frustrated by is um, I'm going in and I will see something to say, like, oh, emphasize the crosshairs, which... I'm always like, is there something on the screen that I can aim with or not? But even the option Mm -hmm. where it's supposedly emphasized, I still miss most of the time. And I can imagine it's very, very difficult because the scene is constantly shifting. But so often there's just Mm -hmm. not enough contrast with the background. I completely lose it. And I'm just sort of spraying (laughs) my bullets uh, and praying that uh, eventually I will see where I'm aiming and then I can correct. So... I think there's a lot more to come, but um, one of the the better ones was, uh, I can't recall his last name, so I apologize, but Steve is very well known in the the gaming industry, so he will do reviews of games, and I think it's Sawyer, but he was playing uh, a racing game. So he's he's a blind player, very, very avid in the gaming Mm -hmm. industry, but he was doing a racing game, and for the first time, because of the cues and the audio cues, he was receiving from the game, he was able to race and mm-hmm. actually won. And I mm-hmm. find that type of innovation really inspiring. And I'd love to see right. more of more of that.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. I uh, was reading a thread this morning of people just talking about how Gen AI had impacted their lives and kind of reflecting on 2023. And one was from a, a CS student who was blind. And he was saying that being able to sort of go back and forth with the chat bot added a new level of confidence for him. That often when he was in class, professors would be demonstrating something and they were understanding that he was there and trying to do accessibility, but also using the board. And he felt kind of lost, you know, sometimes or, you know, lacked a certain kind of confidence. And now, you know, with things like a, a whisper and a chat GPT, you know, he can sort of go back and forth verbally and get a lot of interaction with his own programming that way. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. So let's yeah. bring it back a little yeah. bit to your day-to-day. What are some of the things that you've been working on at Shell? Uh, let's start there. And then we can transition a little bit, as you said earlier, to, okay, but how does that scale?
2: So uh, part of my role is is simply supporting the practitioners. So I act as a sort of consultant, I would say. And when somebody has a specific question about how do I, so how do I test for uh, a screen reader user or how do I check my visual design against some of the accessibility guidelines? Uh, I try to provide them support. I'm not a fan of checklists simply because Mm -hmm. in my experience, while they are helpful, people will tend to stop at the checklist. And if your checklist is too long, They'll ignore it. If it is too specific and they stop, then you miss a lot of things that should be considered or tested. So I, I try to do this sort of here's a checklist that is a little bit more about have you considered? So did you think about how somebody with a visual impairment might navigate your screen? Did you think about how somebody with a motor disability or a motor impairment might? be navigating, things like that, to just try to change perspective and provide a little bit of context and encourage the practitioner to think on their own, really. And then if there's a very specific question like, well, what screen reader should I use to test? That's a simple question for me to then say, okay, well, depending on what operating system you're using, I recommend this combo or have you tried this? Otherwise, it's trying to plan, really, of, of of how to scale. So there's always a request for training. There's always requests for documentation. So it's about what is the right platform to host the documentation so everybody can access it because we work internally, but we work with plenty of external mm-hmm. agencies as well. And trying to share the information with externals of here are our standards, this is how you meet our standards, is, I would say... An additional challenge to meet sometimes because we have to make sure that our information stays secure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, is there you know outside of say documentation and just giving information to people? Are there ways to scale? You know, especially for a company the size of Shell, um, are there ways to kind of build these accessibility concerns into design systems?
2: There are the best way. To me, at the end of the day, it always boils down to people. And I suppose that's part mm-hmm. of considering the human. So if we get too much into checklists, if we rely too much, I think, on automated testing and, and things of that nature, it starts to become a bit clinical and it turns into a tick box exercise. So working with the team and Kind of sitting as part of the team in their day to day, I think is is very very important. I rely on others to do that, and that's been an additional challenge for me because when I was sitting within a project team, I know I annoyed them to death because I was constantly asking, "What did you think about this?" or "Hang on a second, we we need to fix that." But it was much easier because it was on a, a, a personal basis, and me having my own visual impairments and needing to rely on adjustments in order to be able to see and access things just made it very much well it made it more human for them it it wasn't this regulation that they were trying to meet but they had an actual user who was struggling to use Mm. something that they were building right Uh, when you try to scale that it's harder because you lose that Mm -hmm. human aspect i think
0: Right. Yeah. All right. So we're getting to the end here. Let me ask you, you know, we're recording this uh, early in January of 2024. Do you have any goals for this year? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Do you have anything you're excited about on the accessibility front that you'd like to share with the audience?
2: Well, I'm really hoping that this is going to be a banner year for accessibility. I know that the European Accessibility Act is coming uh, and within the software engineering space, within Shell, there's a lot of attention on this. So I'm very, very hopeful that this year we're going to make some great strides. I have support from my immediate leadership to start implementing some changes. So we're going to be doing some piloting and implementing some of those automated testing, uh, implementing different frameworks to try to support the product teams and really put a highlight on accessibility. So. I'm very excited about that. And obviously, I'm very excited to see some of the different things coming out with AI. I know that different companies, Microsoft, Shell, they are looking at AI and seeing how that might be used in a way to bolster accessibility. So rather than relying on a human, using AI to, as you said, the, the students being able to Get that feedback from something that's being drawn on the board i I can't wait to see more things like that
0: right, yeah, very cool all right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening. It is that time of the show. We're going to shout out a member of the Stack Overflow community who came on and shared a little knowledge or had a little bit of curiosity. a great question badge awarded to alexander my Are arrow functions faster more performant, and lighter than ordinary standalone function declaration in v8 well if you ever wanted to know this is about javascript node.js and v8 alex asked a great question was awarded a great question badge and we've got a bunch of answers for you so i will have the link in the show notes Thank you so much for listening. I am Ben Popper. I'm the Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on x at Ben Popper. My DMs are open. If you have a question, a suggestion, or you'd like to come on the show to to talk about something related to software and technology, email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you enjoyed the program, um, why don't you leave us a rating and a review?
1: I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to slip into my DMs on X, I'm R. Thor Donovan.
2: I'm Maya Sellen. I look after inclusive design and digital accessibility within software engineering. I am a huge introvert, so I'm not very much on social media, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Just Maya Sellen. And yeah, please go check out our corporate website. It's just www.shell.com. And uh, if you find any issues... Let me know on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to speak to the product team to get those addressed.
0: Oh, I like that one. You can make the difference you want in the world you just have to ping my... All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon.